That's the parent coming out in you right there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't get like in this, like I'm just in front of a screen all the time. You look up and two days have gone by. You're like, oh shit. Yeah. And I'm sure like. (laughs) Side quest accepted. I thought about starting this one off with kind of your background in animation and videography, but the one thing that I see a lot of developers talking about is their Kickstarters, right? Because that's really the cornerstone of where your game starts. That's how you get off the ground, get running right. And for you, I noticed when I was looking at your Steam page, you said yours got fully funded in like under 12 hours, right? Yeah. Which is very impressive. And it's a hurdle that a lot of developers can't quite get over. So I wanted to talk to you about how you approach that. I know you got your publisher relatively early, so I don't know if your publisher had a big impact on that, but kind of talk to me about how you approached your Kickstarter, how you marketed it, how your publisher got involved in it, kind of all those little details as you went up to it and then you hit that goal. Yeah, so originally when I first had the idea for the game, first thing I wanted to do was Kickstarter because I mean, I didn't want to give a piece of business or the game away. But before I even had a chance to do that, uh, Apogee approached me and uh, we ended up partnering with them. So the Kickstarter has been in the back of my mind for the last few years. So we had originally had it scheduled for last October. At that time, we had about 750 pre-saves. So like the pre-launch page. And um, I talked with like the marketing team and just some other people and they suggested we kind of wait until we had more more pre-saves. So mm. we ended up waiting until the new year. And then we had around, I think around 1,700. And um, I feel like that was one of the defining factors that got us funded so quickly. Mm. Because there is some sort of percentage, I don't know exactly what it is, but you can imagine it's like a wish list. When it goes live, people get notified. So a certain percentage of those people are going to back right away. Another percentage will back by the end of the campaign. So I think that really helps. So what I would suggest anyone who's doing a Kickstarter is to get that page up early mm-hmm. um, and start sending people that way. Almost like a wish list. Like it's hard to decide what you want to do. Like, do I want to get wish list? Do I want to get pre-saves on there? But some of the people I talked to, what they did was they sent everyone to a pre-launch website showing everything about your game and then within that pre-launch page you have like a link to the kickstarter a link to Mm. the wish list and an email list as well so you can at least capture them all because wish list like you don't have any of that data like you if someone wish list like before your game goes live like you can't say okay i just want to email everyone on my wish list (laughs) if you send them to your email list or if you send them to your own like pre-save at least you'll yeah you have that you have a a way to reach them yeah which is a really smart idea because you can keep them in the back of their mind they keep thinking about your game because they keep seeing that kind of pop up yeah it's a great idea you know a lot of developers when i talk to them they'll say you know with a kickstarter you have to you kind of have to put the cart before the horse almost because you have to get a lot of the different elements of your game done that you ordinarily would take a little bit more time to process and get ready and configure so you're like front loading all of this you're trying to showcase different elements of your game and sometimes that can be an issue for some developers was that something like 
like how did you approach that right because i'm sure you had to showcase different things and like you know lean into some stuff so how how did you maneuver that with this one it was a little easier for us because we were so far along in development like we weren't yeah. looking to raise money to prototype it or to you know get take the idea to prototype level mm -hmm. like we already had and that's another reason that it was probably good that we waited because we kind of we already knew what we wanted the game to be we knew like what those systems were going to be all the different things that were going to have to come together to make it happen so um if you're doing it early before you know that then you might have to manufacture some of these things or kind of take guesses on where you're going to be so we yeah we it was a little different for us just because we were a little bit further along so you got your your publisher pretty early, right? Yeah. So we were, I should say, me. I was at that point. It was just me and um, just posting things on Twitter. I yep. reached out after like six months of me posting things, um, mm -hmm. and uh, Scott Miller reached out and essentially, I kind of couldn't believe it because mm -hmm. he's like from three realms. Like, he, so it was pretty cool. And that is uh, cool. Yeah, we. So we decided to kind of partner up and then, uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons game development is so tricky is because mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how good your game is if nobody knows about it. So that's very true. I'm trying to really strike a balance between posting and keeping people updated, mm -hmm. but not take away from development. I mean, that's one of the reasons I haven't released a devlog yet because mm -hmm. i know which i'm close but i mean i i just haven't really been able to carve that time out because every every minute that i'm spending on doing that i'm not working mm. on the game but it is important because yeah. like you said like there's thousands of games that come out every week mm -hmm. yes there are i mean i don't want to be just one of those games so i mean i have to put my efforts into getting the getting the word up there too as you know, as you're talking about that, all these different things that go into development, I think a lot of things or a lot of developers they have that like burnout, right? When they're making their games. And I don't think a lot of developers really talk about it, or it's something that's been breached recently, but not as much as it could be. So for you, like personally, I mean you have everything going on. You're trying to push this thing as hard as you can right now. So how do you approach something like that? I still make sure that I take weekends for myself. <laughs> I mean, when you have your own business, when you have your own anything that you're making yeah. for yourself sometimes it's hard to separate that from like your personal life especially if you're doing it from home and i wasn't always the best at doing that because mm -hmm. i used to you know just work myself to the bone just mm -hmm. because like i knew the more i worked the more money i'd make but it's a little yeah. different situation now because now it's like i'm preloading that mm -hmm. like i'm not making more money the harder i work but the harder i work the more potential I have for money in the in the future. But what I do to keep myself from kind of getting burnt out, first of all, it's because I just love it. I probably wouldn't be able to do it if I didn't really believe in this game and I didn't really want to like play this game yeah. with my kids. So that's like the driving factor. But yeah. then it's just making sure that there's time spent with my family and that I take enough breaks that I keep myself like healthy that I work out so I don't get like in this like constant I'm just in front of a screen 
all the you time. look up and two days have gone by you're like oh shit yeah and i'm sure like <laughs> at points that might happen but like yeah, yeah, yeah i'm in a decent balance right now i'm trying to stay away from that um mm-hmm. just because that's that's where no matter what even though even if you're super passionate with something where you start to lose that passion and get burnt out just not taking time for yourself how long have you been working on this game um so august 2020 i think is when i first started like learning mm-hmm. unreal january of 2021 was our first like real post so we worked on like the prototype for about six months before that was that like two two and a half years two and a half years or so yeah so you started I mean, you, you'd mentioned you, you know, you did videography, you did animation prior to this. So talk to me about your background in both of those fields and then kind of the tools that crossed over and the ones that didn't as you progressed. I, I actually tried Unity a long mm-hmm. time ago. It just never kind of like jived with me. Uh, it's very different than Unreal. I mean, the way you approach your game is different. Just overall, mm-hmm. this Unity, the biggest strength that it has so much material behind it right like there's so many tutorials on youtube and like reddit threads and like you can basically if you have a problem 200 people out there have an answer for you somewhere that you can find and i think unreal is gaining in that regard but it that's where it kind of lacked and that's why i think a lot of developers like 80 percent of the developers i talk to they all say they work in unity and then, you know, a lot of them will be like, but, you know, Unreal has more flexibility and, you know, less plugins and things like that. It's more integrated. So it's it's an interesting dynamic. You know? But yours is on Unreal. It's not on Unity. Yeah, I, I tried yeah. Unity once and then I kind of just put it down. And I think at that point, like you were saying, I was going to try Unreal. And this was like years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And there just wasn't wasn't as many tutorials out there. Yeah. So this time when I picked it up, like we've kind of hit that point where there's like lots of tutorials online and i, ha- I found mm. this playlist on youtube's like how to make an rpg and it was like 50 perfect 50. yeah yeah exactly perfect. <laughs> so i'll just watch this and i'll have a game there you and go yeah it was like i think it was like 50 videos and it took me a couple of days to go through and i just followed along mm-hmm. and then after that like it gave me like a decent grasp and it got me kind of excited diving into like the free assets you get each month and when you watch a tutorial like that all of a sudden are you like i want to add like 10 different things to the game because now you see all that stuff well that and that's another tricky part is like Hmm. you you can do anything but it's like you shouldn't do everything that's fair that's a very good point yeah you kind of you need to figure Hmm. out yeah, yeah. stay on the path right yeah and, and like mm-hmm. that is a hard thing to do especially the, the game we're making which is an open world like kind of do anything game so we have a lot of systems that have to work together but there are still things that like i'm gonna have to say you know no to and that's because i could be working on this game for the rest of my life if i decided to just put everything in there right so that is true yeah but now that I, I mean, I completely interrupted you when you were talking about your videography and animation background. So circling back to that, kind oh, of talk, yeah, no. talk about that for me for a second. Uh, yeah. So I just had a small business and it was essentially just me. And mm-hmm. uh, I started out, there was a contest for Doritos chips and they had mm-hmm. whoever wanted to make a video could make a video. Yeah. And I made like four and they were crappy, um, but I kind of got the bug then. 
I started making videos eventually, started charging people for it. Did, um, did you win the contest though? No. But the oh, next man. year, but the next year, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had, I had a contest and I won best special effects. There um, you go. Perfect. So, yeah. And then we, my wife and I started doing videos and photography mm. for weddings. Uh, then I started doing some business videos and then I eventually ended up doing uh, business animations and explainer mm. videos for small businesses and some bigger businesses too. And, and that was kind of like my bread and butter for last like 10 years mm-hmm. and i kind of thought that was where i would be like and like the goal at that point was like at some day at some point mm-hmm. in time i'd like to do like a feature like film or you know or something like that yeah and then so i i thought animation was it like that was it i found my thing i love it you know that was it but then i opened up on real and <laughs> holy world do you still do some animation? Do you like miss animation though sometimes? Uh, no. No. <laughs> because, well, <laughs> just because I, I do enough of it in Unreal. Like, That's true. Yeah, it's like, I have game, to deal yeah. with animations every single day. So I don't, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I don't miss it. It's, uh, That's fair. I'm still doing it. Yeah. I mean, so, still opening After Effects though. It's like, that's my, that's my baby. I, that's I, your go-to. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Well, I, so with videography, right, with photography, there's certain s- tools that you use specifically geared towards that. I'd imagine, though, a lot of that probably doesn't really transfer over into you know Unreal and decoding and then doing the back end and creating a video game. Animation, I would imagine, does much more. It has much more crossover. But talk to me about the tools you use then versus the ones you started to use. You mentioned, you know, you started learning Unreal, but like, did anything really cross over? Did, you know the way you were creating your characters in game was that something you had already kind of learned like some maybe blender or something of that nature like walk me through that progression yeah so it's funny because a few weeks before i started using unreal like i was rendering things in 3d mm-hmm. like using cinema 4d and i had a render firm set up like <laughs> 14 gpus like trying to just render this one scene and it would take like all day right yeah and i open on real and it's like doing it in real time and i was like what how is this possible yeah yeah um so i did have a little bit of um 3d background just because i was using 3d elements in my animation so that helped so Mm -hmm. now if i need to jump in and modify a model or um, get something rigged then i'm it's not like super far from like what i know and it's the same kind of thing with um adding sound effects having an ear for what will work and what won't uh same kind of thing with like composition um when you're trying to like make something look good um or like look natural yeah uh, Kind of, that came from kind of that animation stuff. I've noticed with a lot of video games lately that they crank the saturation like all the way up on these things. So they're like super bright, super colorful. Some videographers and well, I would say more photographers, but they'll kind of do something similar. So when I looked at your game, I noticed, you know, it's really bright. It's really colorful. I was going to write this question down, but like how much saturation is too much saturation, right? And that's not a diss on your game at all. I think no, your no, game no. looks great. Oh, that's a good question. I guess for me personally, it's just like if I think it looks good. And that's always subjective. Mm. What we're trying to do is 
make something that's kind of eye-catchy, but not like overwhelming. And mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing is, I always want to leave kind of these things to the preference of the player. So, yeah. I mean, we'll probably have a setting in there if you want to dial down that saturation. For me particularly, when I saw your game, that was one of the things that popped out to me was that color factor. And then when you said, you know, we started initially started talking, you're like, yeah, you know, I did videography, you mentioned photography. I was like, oh, okay, that does make sense because that color palette that does kind of, it transfers over. So it would make sense. You would kind of take that into account while you're making the game. And I mean, it really does pop compared to a lot of games, you know, so that, that is a, it's a strong factor for your title, I think, in my opinion. Thank you. Yeah. And we kind of picked, I say we like... Originally, when I first started making mm-hmm. it, I found some assets on the Unreal Marketplace and I fell in love with them. And and that's a lot of the environment stuff that you'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just enjoy like being in that world with those, you know, those bright trees and that stylized look. Um, it's not for everybody, the mm-hmm. stylized, but I mean, the other reason that I think it's a good choice is you don't have to worry about it being photo realistic. So like, let's, let's say I decided to make a game that was like photo realistic. I would have whatever level we're at right now in terms of technology, I would kind of be set at that level. You know, Mm -hmm. if my game takes three years to come out, like, you can only imagine that realism is going to be pushed. Yeah, it'll only be even, even further. Yep. So, so I think it's difficult mm-hmm. when people are making a realistic game because they kind of have to lock themselves in that into that style, and yeah. it might look a little bit outdated when the game actually comes out. So, when you're in stylized, you don't have to worry about that so much because it's a stylistic choice, right? Was that something you thought about in developing? Because it sounds like you kind of processed 100%. it. Yeah, okay, I got you. I mean, just adding to that, I would say like a lot of indie developers who try realism in their games, I think ultimately you always you always risk the game the game being viewed by players as competition with AAA or they compare the two and ultimately you're always going to lose because it's a five-person team or a two-person team versus like you know a team of 100 200 500 like you just can't scale to that level so it's smarter just to play to your strengths and your market and just lean into that you know exactly and like if you look back on like older games that are stylized versus ones that were trying to be realistic like Mm. the ones that are stylized tend to hold up a little bit better in terms of graphics and um, so that was yeah. definitely a factor that I kept in, in the back of my mind. I always wonder, you know, when I look back at like playing PS1 games, you know, PS2 games, you think of the graphics, they're mind blowing back in the day. And then you look back now and you're like, wow, that game was, you know, it, it was not good graphics wise. No, <laughs> it's just Go- like, it's Goldeneye weird. was my jam. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I remember that game being like, wow, the graphics are so good. Like, mm-hmm. look, you can see the people's faces. And now like, yep. if I play it, I'm like, what what was I thinking? Like it was, it was so bad, yeah. but like it's at that point, right? It, it yeah, seem. at that point, it was the best stuff out there. So yeah, yeah. So you you know, with you, you keep saying we. Talk to me about the team really quick here. So who's who's creating the game? Freelancers, you know, people that are working part time, whatever it may be. Composers, kind of talk to me about that for a second. 
Yeah, so at first it was just me, and then kind of when um, we partnered up with Apogee, then it kind mm-hmm. of gave me a chance to bring on some more people. So we have uh, another full-time programmer, uh, Michael, who he mm-hmm. does all the herd brain stuff that I can yeah, yeah. figure out sometimes. And then we have like a lot of different artists who um, do 3D models mm-hmm. and do text texturing and do environments. Um, and we just started working with someone to do some level design as well. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, and it's a bunch of different people that kind of mm-hmm. have their own expertise. And I'm trying to pull those all together. So it probably looks, I don't really know what a AAA studio, how their workflow goes, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm attempting to do something similar in terms of just pulling people in that have an expertise and letting mm-hmm. them do their thing. As like the person who this game came from, right? It's like, it's your baby. Is it hard to let it go a little bit, you know, like let go of the reins a little bit and let them explore and like, you know, like you said, explore their creative side and their expertises and things like that? At first I thought it would be, but it's mm. almost better. I think it yeah. is better because you get people and you get ideas from Mm -hmm. the people who are working on it that are better than your ideas at some point and add into your ideas and it just helps elevate the projects to to a different level it's a very it's a very healthy mindset i think a lot of yeah it's not it's not just it's not just mine anymore Mm -hmm. like it's everybody's yeah, it's everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I still have like, I still have that vision, and I, mm-hmm. I think like that's kind of key. You need yeah. one person who is gonna like say like, okay, we're gonna do this. But that doesn't mean like the people that are involved can't give creative um, ideas into. That's the same with when we do social media posts. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times, I post and I actually I ask questions and. I mean, one one is because like typically they do better on social media when you do that. Mm-hmm. But I also want to hear the answers because mm-hmm. if you have one person saying something like that's you know that's one thing. But if a hundred people are mm-hmm. saying the same thing, then you're like, okay, well maybe that's the way it should be. You know, maybe that's true. They're onto something here. So yeah. I can kind of sometimes I can get past those hurdles before they're even hurdles. So with this game, when it comes to something like, say, playtesting, right? You have your publisher, you have you know other developers on your team, obviously. How do you approach something like that? Like, do you lean into your, your social base? Do you lean into devs? Do you rely on your publisher? Your Kickstarter is a great place to kind of collect people. How do you approach something like that? Yeah, so it's all of those. So by the end of the year, we'll have an alpha that the Kickstarter backers, a lot of mm-hmm. the people who back the alpha tier will have access to. And we're kind of just going to let them go nuts and tell us what's broken and how they think it could be improved. Mm-hmm. And that will be a little taste of, I think, how early access will be because it'll be a smaller pool. So we won't get, you know, ransacked with too much information. But I think we'll have a good enough sample size mm-hmm. where we can get some decent feedback. And then yeah. after that, We'll start um, getting into like some QA testing with Apogee and, and then we can 
start reaching out to anyone else that we we think should be testing that. One of the things that jumped out to me with this game is that you guys have split screen and not just like you guys have co-ops, but it's split screen co-op. It's like couch co-op split screen, which I always loved playing split screen growing up. You know, I thought it was one of the strongest aspects of gameplay in my opinion you're just playing with your friends on the couch you're relaxing you're having a good time and it's something that over the years i think has gotten phased out i don't think a lot of games like a lot of games will say they have split screen but that it's in a very very limited capacity and every game almost has co-op now in some form or another but it's not in split screen form it's in you know different consoles connecting to together different pcs connecting together via servers so for you, what was the thought process to bring that in for this game? And then on the technical side of things, what is the challenge when you're trying to implement that into a game? So the first time I had the idea for the game was uh, my kids and I were playing Zelda Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. We were sitting next to each other playing and it's only single player. So we wait for someone to die and then pass the controller over and I was like... Wouldn't it be cool if you could play the split screen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, let's just do that. That was the initial idea and reason we went with split screen. But mm. before that, like growing up, same thing as you said. Like, I used to go to Blockbuster and like search out like split screen games yeah. and rent them and play them with my buddies for the weekend. Because back then there was no online multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Like, that was as close as you could get. We didn't even, like, think there would ever be, you know? Like, that's just what what, what, what a split-screen game, like, a co-op game was, was mobile split-screen, so. Exactly. And and even now, like, when we're looking for games, when I'm looking for games to play with my kids, like, I'm always like, Mm -hmm. okay, does that have split-screen co-op, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And whenever they do, like, I was playing one with my son tonight, when, mm. Like that just elevates it to another level. So I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that we had that, and it kind of fit also with the story. Like it's a brother and sister who are kind of modeled after my kids mm, in I name see. at least, and um, so it fit with the story. And then I also just wanted to make sure that we could have that time together. Mm-hmm. When it did come with and it still does come with some hurdles because you have to think about everything a little bit differently like if your quests are going to be shared like what happens when two people try to talk to the same NPC how is loot going to drop like do you double up the loot or do you just you know make Mm -hmm. people just share it so there's a lot of things you have to think about but it's it's infinitely less i feel than if it was a multiplayer online because yes multiplayer is a whole another animal yeah yeah and that's the thing and originally i wanted to do that and i thought Mm. it would be awesome but it's just not something that i have the expertise yet in doing so we're we're sticking with the split screen still is a little bit harder but i think it's gonna be worth it in the end but it 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 is a little well, it's a lot more work um, because you have to have two people interacting with the same systems. Mm-hmm. And not only that, you have to have like two inventory screens up at the same time. Yeah. You have to have the map be able to work with both people. So 
it's a lot of trial and error, but luckily we have an awesome programmer who is super smart and he figures it all out. <laughs> so with that, I mean, talk to me about the game itself, right? The the story, the gameplay, things of that nature. Like, how does all that work here? How does that unfold with this game? The story for the game is it's a brother and sister, Guy mm-hmm. and Beckett. And you're essentially sent in through this portal to Elamithia. And you need to find eight elemental stones and rebalance them to save Elamithia and Earth. I see. Um, so Where did the name of the world come from? I have to ask. Jaren, uh, he's a, a friend and also mm-hmm. uh, someone who works at Apogee. He's a producer on the game, and he yeah. kind of came up with the name, and we're like, yeah, that's pretty good. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds cool. It sounds cool. That's yeah. why I was like, there's got to be a story behind it, so fair yeah. enough. All right, yeah, yeah. We, we were going back and forth with a bunch of names, and that kind of just felt felt like it worked. So, yeah. All right, now that I've interrupted your chain of thought. You... <laughs> no, no, it's all good. Yeah, so we so in this world, Alamithia, there are eight different biomes, So, which coincide with the eight different stones so you have light yeah see if i can get them light dark water ice fire nature air earth that's eight and um so each biome is essentially its own kind of little world they have their own villages their own npcs their own enemies Mm, and their own tasks that you have to do and quests you have to complete Mm -hmm. to find these um, stones. Mm. And then once you find the stones, um, I mean, you'll have to see what happens, I guess. (laughs) Gotta go and guess it a little bit. Essentially, you can um, pick and choose where you want to go first and the world, you're dropped into the nature biome, but you're Mm. free to like go to the ice biome if you want to start there and tackle it however you want. When I was looking at your game, it's an RPG, it's open world. I think with open world games, they can really, really tax any game engine because they're just so massive and there's so much going on. And then in turn, they can tax the PCs that they're being played on or the console they're being played on. So a lot of developers, they use a lot of different, I guess, tactics, you could say, to kind of limit that amount of processing that needs to be done for a game like this. So... And I always thought the name was weird, but culling is one of them, right? And the, the name is yeah. bizarre. It doesn't sound fun. Um, <laughs> no, but not, it, it, not right? Like <laughs> in video, video games, they have all these cool names. Like, you know, there's so many cool things like ray tracing and, you know, Unreal Engine and Unity. And then there's just culling. And you're like, eh, yeah, that, that sounds right. like a cat throwing like, up. Yeah, yeah. But like, I guess a lot of people thought about that. Nobody had ever really thought about it in the gaming side of things until that uh, Zero, I think it was Zero Dawn, they had a video that came out that was showing it where it was like um, the person's view as they were turning the camera and it was showing like the world rendering in front of them and stuff. And like, you know, it's one of those interesting things you never think about as a player. And, you know, there's other, obviously there's other things that go into it as well, um, like rendering things that are close to you as opposed to far away and certain, you know, degrees of sharpness. And like, there are a lot of things that go into making your game more manageable for the system it's being played on. So for your guys' side of things, can you talk to me about 
kind of how you approach that element of development and, and how that worked with this game a little bit more? Yeah, so first, I think the stylized um, graphics kind of mm-hmm. help a little bit too because most of the models are low poly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that right away helps a little bit. We do do techniques. We do use techniques like you were saying in Horizon Zero Dawn where only certain things will be uh, yeah. rendered. Um, but then when you get into uh, split screen, some of some of those kind of have to uh, go at the window because you might have two you know, people looking still... complete opposite directions. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But uh, one another thing that we can do is, I guess you could call it cull the mm-hmm. the enem- enemies or any um, actors that are mm-hmm. not in a certain radius. So yeah. if you have an enemy that's you know within 500 meters, like mm-hmm. they are fully active, but if they hit like a thousand meters, then their logic is gone, but their animations still work. And then if you hit another 500 meters, then their logic is gone, their animations are gone, and essentially like they are just, you can just see them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And if you're far, if you're far away, if you're further aw- uh, far enough away, then you you can't really tell anything. It doesn't have an impact, yeah. Another thing that we're doing is we switched to Unreal Engine 5, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of built-in tools that help as well. So there's a technology called Nanite, which essentially eliminates LODs, um, which are levels of detail that you have to put into each model to tell it. Mm-hmm. When you when your screen space is a certain size, then you can yeah. shrink that model into less polys. So mm-hmm. Nanite does this automatically, so you don't have to worry about LODs. And there's another system we're using called World Partition, mm-hmm. and essentially you drop things into the world, and they're they will only spawn if you're in that certain radius. So that helps. As I well. see. We just implemented a system that will switch trees from a foliage actor, which is like very low resource heavy to mm-hmm. an actor when you get within a certain radius so they can be cut down. If you had all of these trees that can be cut down as actors all the time, like that would just... Yeah, your, your computer yeah. would explode. So yeah, yeah I get exactly. that. Yeah, yeah. So, so now when you get to a certain distance, close enough to chop it, will turn mm-hmm. into an actor. And when you walk away, it will turn back into a foliage actor. So there's things like that that we're doing yeah. to help that. I, I want to make mm-hmm. sure that the game is playable on like lower end PCs. Mm-hmm. And I think we can get there. It's something that we'll have to worry about when we're boarding to switch so i figure we might as well just kind of try to do it that way yeah another thing is um the, the way we use materials so instead of mm-hmm. using you know 100 different materials well we're trying to use like under 10 for all the mm-hmm. uh, models in the so game less so less rendered into it yeah yeah so once once that materials called once um mm-hmm. it's a less to call an instance of it is less mm-hmm. uh, gpu heavy you'd mentioned you upgraded it to uh ua5 or ue5 so you started the game i'm guessing on four right yeah we were in 4.6 
I was going to say, when you shift from four to five, is there like, I would imagine it's unreal. So they're trying to keep everything as smooth as possible. But there's got to be some hiccups along the way as you transfer from one to the other. Yeah, there was, it was pretty minimal, actually. And that's just, that's just in our case. I don't Mm -hmm. know. It probably depends on the game. Like, I know there's a lot of games that are still in development that are Mm going to be coming out in Unreal Engine 4. Yeah. And I mean, it also depends on where you're at, like, if we were a little bit further along, it might not have been the smartest to switch, but we still had enough dev cycles to make the switch. And not only that, I kind of did the calculations on how much time these improvements in Unreal Engine 5 are going to save me time in the future. So like I see. that that Nanite technology, um, like that's going to save tons of time. Yeah. And same with the world partition, because like mm. how our world used to be was essentially like grid squares and they would have to be streamed and you'd have to make sure that you place everything on that grid square. And if you didn't like you could have a tree load in the complete opposite side of the map mm-hmm. and you wouldn't even know it's there. It's but it's just randomly you. there. Yeah. yeah, and it's digging you on your performance. So like the way mm-hmm. that the world partition is set up, you essentially just drop it where it needs to be and it oh, does all that calculations for you. So it's just mm-hmm. little things like that that are less things you have to worry about that will put could potentially kill a lot of time when you say it like that it does make a lot of sense it's just most developers i always hear where they say you know when they start on one they like to just stay on that one the whole way through or at least i'm not going to say the majority but i know quite a few of them have said that just because of that you know they see that initial transition as somewhat problematic there might be some bumps in the road they don't want to deal with it but when you say it like that you know just looking at that time saved on in the long run it definitely makes a lot of sense to do it that way with that approach yeah it was and it was definitely a big decision Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad I'm glad we did, but um, I I wouldn't say that it was for everyone. Like it definitely de- just depends on where you are mm-hmm. in your dev, and if you think that those tools will be useful, like they will be for us, especially the open world stuff. So yeah, um, like the new Witcher game is going to be built in Unreal Engine Five. So I, mean, I can't it's wait. Good enough for them, right? Then, you know, it's good enough for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can't wait for that game. It's going to probably take like four or five years before we see it. But yeah. you know what? It'll be It'll worth, worth it. it. Right? Yeah. So with the combat in this game, you have magic combat and then you have weapons-based combat. I'd imagine... I would just imagine that magic-based combat is more of a pain in the ass for you as a developer. But... For you who deals with it, who's been sorting through it, talk to me about the technical side of it and then talk to me how talk to me about how you kind of implemented that into this game. Funny enough, uh, the magic is less difficult. The systems are both based off of like systems that we got from the marketplace and we kind of mm-hmm. iterated on. Um, but what we did is we decided to add a system of elemental fragment socketing. So essentially like socketing gems into weapons Mm. um, which will give them like different elemental damages and resistances. You're just talking about Witcher. That kind of sounds like the gems in in the Witcher games. Yeah, so and 
what we what we actually ended up doing was adding those sockets and we have three tiers of weapons so we have rare mm-hmm. epic and legendary yeah four tiers myth mythic is the fifth um but those those first three are like craftable i see the mythics will be something you have to find in the world mm-hmm. and as the tier goes up you can socket more gems so the rare you can socket one the epic can socket two and the legendary can socket three and there being 13 different weapon types mm-hmm. means that there's going to be a lot of testing in terms of like how these weapons work i see and what's their damage range and how how what's their attack speed mm-hmm. um so that's something i've been just working on recently and trying to dial that in so when you're dealing with the magic like our magic system is pretty straightforward it's essentially you find a magic book a mm-hmm. book of magic we call them in the world so that could be in a chest or you defeat an uh, enemy or you just find them somewhere in a bookshelf yeah and you learn that spell and then you you can use that spell mm-hmm. and as you use it and defeat other enemies that skill will that spell will rank up and yeah. that's the same the same system that's going to be with the weapons as you use the weapon so if you want to get really good at um one-handed sword mm. just use it defeat enemies and you will upgrade that weapon just naturally just by using it there's no skill points it's just based on on what you do um but because there are so many weapons and so many different elements and we mm. don't know who's gonna be stalking what like it's I gonna see. be difficult it's more of a nightmare to balance. to balance it out I yeah gotcha. but it'll, it'll be fun why so many weapons besides the fact that it's a huge open world game yeah, there <laughs> there could have been more, but uh, You're right. I don't know. I just want to make sure that everyone can use the weapon they want to use, and not only mm-hmm. that, I want to have the player give them options for different encounters and and different locations and different bosses. So it wasn't something I probably thought about hard enough at the beginning, and I probably mm-hmm. should have stuck to some, some fewer weapons. But mm-hmm. I think it also gives the gameplay some variety because, like, each of these weapons will have different attacks and different skills. And there being that many weapons, um, it means that you can kind of build your character the way you want. Your character specifically? So you mean, like, you can customize your character out, or you just mean the weapons beside of them? Just, yeah, just the gear. So I see, okay. There, There's going to be, like, slight character customization so mm-hmm. when you start the game you'll be able to like change the eye color the skin mm, yeah, color yeah, yeah. and the hair color that's about it yeah because it's such a story based game like essentially like I don't like to make comparisons but like imagine like you changing what Link looks like in Zelda mm-hmm. or if you are changing the Witcher like you know yeah like, yeah yeah you're it not, doesn't quite make no as one, much sense to do it that way, right? No one, no one gets to do that. But I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people said they wanted, they wanted character customization. Like a lot of people are like, "Oh, I'm not playing it. There's no character customization. It's just not that. <laughs> it's just not what it is, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't please everybody." Yeah. So, I will but, say though, but, some games try to like force character customization in there. And it's like it doesn't make a lot of sense for it to be 
would it, or like a game like uh, Cyberpunk where they said it was like the craziest character customization ever. And it was like, I don't know. It was it was a decent character customization, but I think they may have tried to overhype it a little bit. And when you got in there, yeah. you're like, well, it's I mean, it's character customization, but it's not like this mind blowing thing. But I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying, though. And Cyberpunk is a first person game, too. So mm-hmm. it's a little less important, I feel. But I mean, yeah. I <laughs> hey, yeah. but they do have yeah. like photo mode and stuff. So I do get oh, I, yeah, I get what they're trying to do. Yeah, yeah they're trying to like yeah. make it more impactful for like social media yeah. and streaming and you know that kind of thing yeah. but but and i think that's cool because if and that's why we're trying to do a little bit of that just because mm-hmm. i want you know i want someone like a kid who wants to play like you i want them to be able to you know change the way their character looks and make them look yeah. a little bit like them at least but but it's that. not something that's going to affect the story um, mm-hmm. You're not going to build your class. You're not going to pick like you're just you build your class based on the weapons you use, mm-hmm. the gear you wear yeah. and the magic that you decide to to use. So with a game like this, you mentioned that you do listen to people on social media who like talk about, you know, if there's a vast if there's a lot of people that are saying something's you know should be changed or whatever implemented or tweaked in the game they're like you know you lean into that a little bit in today's era of gaming with like you know twitch streaming esports you know youtube uh, let's players like all this you know content creation going on behind the scenes in tandem with gaming is that something you let impact your overall vision for the game or like you know when you're building this game are you thinking like this will be really good because you know a streamer can highlight this and that like how much does that really play into your thought process with the game not it doesn't it doesn't really i Mm -hmm. but i shouldn't say it doesn't because i think games that are streamable are games that are enjoyable and it's not going to be a game like you know fortnite that's you know competitive like it's not like that yeah, yeah but yeah. it's something that like i think people will enjoy being mm-hmm. in that world you know it's a i think it could potentially be a good streaming game just because it could be like you know at at points it could be like a chill mm-hmm. game where you're just you know you're just building or you know and that's kind of another reason that we wanted to do a little bit of everything it's it's probably because like I always call myself like jack of all trades, master of none. I guess is what they say. But um, good at a lot of stuff, master at yeah, nothing. Like I, hear, that, I hear that all that, the time. Yep, yep. I that, hear you. And that I like. You know, I like different. Like if I'm playing a game and it's all combat based, like I might want to. You know, I want to. I want to chill. You know, some building. I mean, a lot of games you can't do that. Um, mm-hmm. And I see my kids and how they play games and like mm-hmm. they'll be playing Roblox and it's like they'll play one game. I know they'll get me started on Roblox. They'll be playing one, we'll be playing <laughs> one game yep. and then they'll get bored of it and switch to another game. And it, mm-hmm. it's a lot of the times that's because like they can't do what they want to do mm-hmm. in one of these games. So I think that having these different aspects like have. Uh, you know, you can be in combat one minute and then you can, you know, go to a village area and, and build mm-hmm. your homestead. Um, and then you can kind of do some exploration. You can 
do some puzzles. Like yeah. there's a little bit of it all. And that might seem daunting and it kind of is, it's a lot, but it's also like, that's the game that I want. Like that's the game that I want to play right now. Yeah. So that's kind of what I have to build. That's, I mean, it's a great point. I think you leaning into like, you'd mentioned Roblox with your kids and stuff. I think younger generations and younger players, like, it's easy just to overlook that and look at the player base you have right now but if you want longevity with your game you look at those trends and you understand what's like pushing them and stuff like like with minecraft being more popular than it's ever been i mean which is wild how that game is still going to me but i mean don't get me started on minecraft but um <laughs> but yeah i mean it's just it's interesting so i, I think that is it's a smart take and i mean an all-inclusive game is definitely i don't know if it's daunting i mean i think a lot of people who play rpgs they they desperately want something like that and when they see it they get really really excited so i think that's something that your game definitely would be able to bring to the table as like a strong suit i would say yeah that's what we're gonna try to do and mm-hmm. and like I, I mentioned my kids and i want to play with my kids but mm-hmm. i mean i'm trying to i'm trying to build this game so i also want to play it like on my own or with my friends yeah 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 and and one of the ways we're making it kid friendly is essentially mm-hmm. there's there'll be no like blood in the game. Um, I see. You know, there's, no, there's no guns. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of weapons, but which isn't yeah, yeah, like yeah. kid friendly. But it's all fantasy based violence. So I think we can have a rating of like ten plus fa- fantasy violence on there. But it will be a game that you like a six year old uh, or an eight year old could pick up. And, and play it's also a game that like if you really want to get deep with it mm-hmm. and like get deep into the crafting and you know and build really building your build and like do all the quests like it's something like deeper that like adults um, yeah and, like will want to play as well i hope it's like the lego boxes in the toils was zero to 99 or something like <laughs> yeah. that all yeah, those exactly. poor all those poor people over you know the 100 years old they can't they can't do it but you know everybody else can yeah. so it's exciting <laughs> yeah. yeah no and, and that's and that's the thing it's like they always tell you to like market mm-hmm. to a certain demographic it's also who who do you like what kind of game are you want to build like mm-hmm. it i think it's a lot less to do with like who you're targeting mm-hmm. and it's more to do with like as long as you're building the thing that you want to build, yeah, then it's gonna be, you know, as long as it, you know, as long as it's good, it's gonna be successful because like you want it, you know, it's like mm-hmm. somebody else is gonna want it too. Yeah, you're passionate about it. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, with this game specifically, you mentioned like things like no blood, things like you know, no guns in your game. I think in the U.S. regulate, reg- I don't know why I said regulatory. I almost said that regulations wise. It's, you know, you'd mentioned like the ratings and things like that, but it's, it's not as much of a barrier like what you have in your game. But if you move into markets like the Chinese market, which is a massive, massive market right now, decisions like that do matter when you're building your game out. There's more restrictions. They are starting to open up, but there are still that there is still that approval process and things of that nature. So when you're making this game and you do have a publisher, so they can kind of take some of that weight off of you. But is that something that factors in as well? Kind of that decision where you're like, it's going to this market, it's going to this market. I know you said, you know, you got to be passionate. It's got to be something that you want to play to make it engaging and fun. But is that something that does also kind of key in and have a factor? Yeah, like I'm always thinking about like when I'm making specific quests or when I'm, mm. you know, deciding to put an enemy in the game, like 
in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, like, is this a generic, like, will this work anywhere type of thing? Mm -hmm. And I think for the most part, um, that's what we're trying to aim for. Mm -hmm. um, even, even with the story elements and how each biome was going to kind of teach you a lesson or, or attempt to like kind of bestow some morals on you um, like yeah. these are kind of things that are like across the board mm -hmm. hopefully things that will permeate with all different you know, yeah. cultures um, but but we we will be localizing it into different languages I think we have like 10 playing um, mm. so the, the goal is kind of get it out there English first and then start start working on um, localization but but having that in the back of our mind while we're making it so we don't like come into the point where like oh we built this big piece of the game where we can't really use in this market right now we're kind of leaning into the end of 2023 so talk to me about the roadmap moving into that talk to me about next year talk to me about kind of what your immediate plans are for the game and then kind of your longer term plans after that yeah so we're working on um an alpha for the kickstarter backers that will be mm -hmm. sent out to them by the end of this year mm -hmm. and after that um our plan is early access next year and we're probably going to stay we're probably going to enter early access with like half of the biomes complete Mm -hmm. and then for half of like four of the eight biomes complete and yeah. then we'll probably stay in early access hopefully hopefully for just a year um so here's one for you favorite rpg of all time and then and then the flip side of the coin least favorite rpg of all time okay we're so gonna mix it up a little bit for you favorite um, I probably have to say, like, in terms of like scope and mm -hmm. like the way play, like, I'd probably have to go with Witcher Three for best. Yep. And just because Zelda Breath of the Wild is like less an mm -hmm. RPG in my mind. Um, that is, you're gonna say, oh wow, that's controversial, right there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Like, where, and like, and that's, and that being said, like, uh -huh. there, there are people who will say that Elements isn't an RPG, right? Um, like, is it an adventure action? Ah, uh, like, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you, you have know? all the subcategories, so, the MMORPG, you know, there's a million of them out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And some people say that just because you don't have character customization, it's not an mm. RPG. So, I feel like you're um, nitpicking there a little bit, though. You know, like yeah. you're really just kind of you're looking for a reason to say something like that. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's not me. That's people. That's people. Uh, I hear you. Um, I just kind of roll past that comment, right? You know. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, but if we did include Zelda, then it would be a tie between those two, and that, and those are big influences in in what elements is going to be. Yeah, um, yeah, I respect that. Worst. I I mean, I'm not. I can't. I can't say that. <laughs> I will say, I will say that anyone that makes a game and publishes it mm -hmm. um, should be applauded because it's not easy. 
politician so I, and game developer. I like so it. I, I would, like it. I would never put any. I would never go onto hmm. a worst list. I feel. I, I respect that. Unless I would say. Says, it's not on the internet. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I would. You know what? I was going to say my least favorite, and it's just because I struggle to understand it, and that's more on my uh, intelligence level than anything else, is Black Desert. Because there's so much going on in that game. Never and it's just it. It's massive. It's just, there's so much. Yeah. There's, like, every key has a thing it does, and there's quests going on, and people everywhere, and I dropped in and tried it for a couple hours, and I tried it again a couple days later, and a week later, and like, I was committed, because everybody was like, it's such a good game, there's so much going on, and I was like, I want to like it, and I was just too stupid to like it, so, you know, that's on me, though. Um, I wouldn't say that, maybe lacking attention for that, like, you know, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. every game is for everyone. That's um, the spirit. Uh, yep. Yeah, That's the parent like, coming out in you right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, and it's funny you, you ask about RPGs because like there's a mm-hmm. lot of games that I haven't even, you know, played, but you'll, you'll still feel like there's some DNA from that mm-hmm. game in elements just because yeah. I try to consume as much gameplay content from good games and that mm-hmm. games that do certain things really well instead of actually like taking the time to play them like I'm trying to like get that Cole's notes of of playing the game and kind of get the good pieces of it so yeah I, I get probably that. watch I probably watch more RPG gameplay than I actually play nowadays mm-hmm.